Let us turn in God's word, first of all, to Psalm 79, and then we'll turn back to Psalm 8. through these psalms, I encourage you to look for instruction from God's word about the use of his name. Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there is none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Remember not against us former iniquities, but thy tender mercy speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let it be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee according to the greatness of thy power. Preserve thou those that are appointed to die and render unto our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach wherewith they have reproached thee, O Lord. So we, thy people and sheep of thy pasture, will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Let's now turn back to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 to the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. 
Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of these passages of scripture and many others besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 36. Question 99, what is required in the third commandment? The answer that we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is. For there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. And therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am sure that many of you if not all, have experienced this at one time or another. I'm sure that many of you have felt the hurt that comes with this. I am sure that you have struggled to know how to respond to this. What I speak of is the misuse of your name. For you heard somebody speaking behind your back who thought that you would not hear. And that individual, instead of speaking favorably of you, spoke cruelly of you. The heart starts thumping faster. You don't know whether to say anything or not say anything. 
you feel as if your person was attacked. When others speak cruelly of your name. That's what's in a name. That's the weightiness of the name. Now, this evening, we speak not of your name or of my name, but of God's name. How is God hurt when his people do not use his name with the respect, the reverence, the awe that ought to characterize those who were not only created by him, but redeemed by the blood of his own son. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. In the first commandment, we considered the question, who? Who is it that we worship? Whom do we adore? We saw in that first commandment that there is but one God, Jehovah God, and there is no other God besides him. In the second commandment, then we asked the question, how? How are we to worship this one God? He is not physical, but he is spirit. And thus, he is not to be represented by the use of images, but he is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And now in this third commandment, we continue asking how, but a more specific question. We ask now the question, how are we to address our God in worship? He's the one God who is to be worshipped and no other God. He is spirit and to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. But now, how is it that we who are the creature are to take the name of our excellent, exalted God and speak of him? So let's consider this third commandment this evening under the theme, Commanded to Love. God's name. First, we'll see the basis for this commandment. Second, the calling that we have. And then third, the possibility of loving God's name. What is it that stands behind this commandment? We have mentioned earlier that the commandments are more than simply a list of moral obligations. Do this, don't do that. But the commandments reveal unto us something of the character and the identity of our God. And so as we look into this third commandment, what is it that this commandment reveals unto us about our God? Three things that we note this evening. First of all, we see that this commandment reveals that Jehovah God is a holy God. If he, was, if he were not a holy God, he would not come unto the creature and say, Thou shalt not take my name in vain. 
One uh, theologian has described the holiness of God this way, that God is holy means that God is entirely other. God is not substance. God is not flesh. But God is entirely other. As the holy God, He is devoted unto that which is ethically pure and ethically upright and good. And as the holy God, He is separate, perfectly separate from everything that is unholy or profane. Because God is devoted, as the holy God, He's devoted to that which is good, well, then the question is, well, what is good? Well, God is good. And so if God is good, and the holiness of God demands that He be devoted to that which is good, And you know what that means then? What logically follows? It means that God is devoted to Himself. He is perfectly self-centered. It's not sinful for Him to be self-centered. But there is no higher good than God to which he can be devoted unto. And it's not even the case that God is the holiest out of other, or in distinction to other creatures who also are holy. But rather, God is absolute holiness. He's the standard for what is holiness. It's this holy God who comes to his people and says, don't take my name in vain. And then he fixes a warning to that. And the warning is that if we take his name in vain, he will not hold us guiltless. There are serious consequences for not treating God as the holy God. There's a reason for us here to pause and examine even the way in which we come into the presence of God. How do we come into His presence at family devotions? With the busyness of life, are hectic, trying to get all of the children gathered around the table, get everybody to sit still. And then how often does it not happen that we quickly utter a prayer so that we can get to eating the food that is before us. Our God is holy. And there are serious consequences for those who take his name in vain. The psalmist, filled with a sense of the holiness of God, pleaded for the expression of God's judgment to be given unto those who mistreated the name of God. Psalm 79, verse 6. 
works. Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. This petition that the psalmist had for the fiery wrath of God to be poured out upon the wicked was not because of some sense of personal injustice that had been dealt unto him. It was not because the psalmist had been hurt by the wicked and now he wanted retribution unto those who had inflicted pain upon him. But the psalmist here was filled with a sense of awe of the holiness of his God and knew that the name of his God ought not to be taken lightly. And so he pleaded that God would pour out his wrath upon the heathen and upon those who have not called upon the name of his God. Our God is holy. What did the angels cry out in Isaiah chapter 6? They did not cry out, merciful, 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 Love, 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 but holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The second thing that this commandment reveals unto us is this, that by his names, God is pleased to make himself known, reveal himself unto the creature. And here we must understand a distinction between the names that you and I have and the names that Jehovah God has. When an expecting parent, a couple that is expecting a child, prepare for that child to be born, they have many, many discussions about what should the name of this child be. And they pour through books listing out names of children. There's even apps now that list out suggestions for you of names. And they carefully consider what name they think would best fit this child that is soon to be born. But the reality is that the names that parents select for children, though those names are meaningful to the parent, the name that is selected for the child is not determinative for the character or the life of that child. It's not as if the parents could pick a a wrong name and that wrong name is going to impact that child so that that child will not be able to grow up or succeed in life. The names that we give to our children are more or less forms of address. It's, it's a way to speak to that child. Now, as that child grows up and develops an, a, a char- characteristics and an identity, then we begin to associate that name with, or the personality with that name. So that name gains meaning as that child grows up. But the reality is that that name of that child could be changed without impacting the personality of that child. In distinction from that, God cannot have his names be changed. 
It's not as if it doesn't matter what names Jehovah God has. God cannot change his names without that having a a change upon who God is. And the reason for that is the simple truth that God is his names. The names reveal unto us something of who our God is. Will one be a student of Jehovah God? Will one seek to know God in his power, in his love, and in his glory? Then let us, beloved, be students of the names of Jehovah. For with the names of God, he personally comes down from his holy throne and he seeks the creature, and he delights to make himself known unto the creature. It's by the names of God that it is possible for us as the creature to enjoy fellowship and communion with God. And so there's something then in the name Jehovah, in the name God, Elohim, In the name of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Through God's names, we know Him. The name of the Lord is found in all of the works of creation. The psalmist in Psalm 8 speaks of that truth. Psalm 8, verse 1, and then it's repeated in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hath set thy glory above the heavens. When we consider the heavens, which are the work of God's fingers, when we see the moon and the stars which God has ordained, then we are contemplating, as it were, so many letters which reveal unto us the power and the the divinity of our God. We do well to observe the glory the majesty and the handiwork of our God in the stunning creation that he has given unto us. The fiery red orange of the sun setting in the western skies, the power of the wind, the still. All of these declare unto us our God. And then third, what do we learn from this commandment about God? We learn from this commandment that Jesus Christ is the name of God by which we are saved. This is why God comes to you and says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, because Jesus is the name of God. Psalm 79, verse 9, 
Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Our sins are washed away for the sake of the name of God. And who is that name of God but his incarnate Son, Jesus Christ? Jesus is the revelation of the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. Consider then how the name of God condescended into this world so that we might know Jehovah God. He who was without sin and he who knew no sin became sin for our sakes. He who was in the heavens and he who was transcendent came down into this world and took on human flesh so that by the revelation of the Father we might be able to know him. He who was holy and pure became dirtied with the filth of the sins of mankind. It is because Jesus, Jehovah Salvation is the name of God that God comes unto you and me and says, Thou shalt not take my name in vain. So let us consider then the calling of this commandment. The Catechism teaches us what is our duty, it teaches us in answer 99 that we must not, by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God. Profane or abuse. When the Catechism speaks here of profaning or abusing the name of God, it is not specifically prohibiting what we would call barnyard language. It is not prohibiting in this commandment crass language. There are other reasons to avoid crass and immoral language, but that's not specifically what the catechism is speaking of. Rather, the meaning of profane is this. To profane something is to take that which is uncommon and to make it common. It's to obliterate the distinction between that which is holy and that which is unholy. It is to take that which is just and magnificent and to drag that magnificent name through the mud so that it becomes dirty so that it becomes undesirable. That's the idea here of profaning the name of God, taking his name which is uncommon, which is holy and which is transcendent, and dragging that name of God through the mud. And so how is it that we as Christians are guilty of profaning or or abusing the name of God? Or maybe we think that's only what 
the unbeliever does. I don't say OMG. I don't cry out saying Jesus when I'm angry or upset about something. So maybe one attempts to justify himself and say, well, I don't profane the name of our God. But let us remember then that profane simply means to make common what is uncommon. It is to treat lightly the revelation of God unto us. And how often does that not happen? That we take the name of our Lord and use that name without having thoughts of the greatness and the holiness of our God. Often does it not happen even in holy worship services where we gather for the noble desire of seeking to worship the Lord. That there we hear the name of God spoken. And we think very lightly of it. Where do more violations of the third commandment take place? In the bar? in the church? Where do more violations of the third commandment take place? In the public school or in the Christian school? To profane the name of the Lord is to use his name without reverencing him as the almighty God. Another way in which we as Christians can profane his name is by thoughtless repetition. Here we do well to examine our own prayers. It can happen where Christians can slip into habits, not good habits, of using God's name as a filler word in prayer. For one is leading in prayer, perhaps leading the family in prayer, and struggling to think of what to say next. And so he inserts the word Lord or God or Father thoughtlessly time after time after time in prayer. Then the catechism goes on in speaking of what is our duty. Answer 99, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. What the catechism is teaching us here is that there is a way that we can sin against God by doing absolutely nothing. 
Oftentimes when we think of sins, we think of sins that we willfully and actively commit against Him. Sins where we said something when we should not have said it. Sins where we reached out and touched something or enjoyed looking at something with our eyes where we know we should not have touched or looked at that. That's one category of sins, acts of commission. But then there's entirely another category of sins, which the Catechism speaks of here, and those are sins of omission. Sins of neglecting to do what we should have done. An opportunity where we should have spoken up, we should have stood for truth or for justice, but we didn't stand for truth or justice. And now the Catechism speaks here of our silence and our connivance being partakers of this horrible sin against the third commandment committed by others. What courage this takes unspeakable courage to be able to tell the co-worker I do not appreciate it when you take the name of my God in vain to tell the classmate I love my God and I don't like it when you use the name of my God in that way But you know, there's another place where by our silence and connivance we become guilty of this sin. It's not just when we fail to speak up in the workplace or in school when others misuse the name of God. You know where else the name of God is misused repeatedly? television, over the radio, through the internet, with songs that are sung. And what do we do when we hear God's name taken in vain in these forms of entertainment? By our silence, we become guilty of this horrible sin in others. Ought immediately, as soon as we hear the name of God taken in vain, to shut off that device and plead of God for forgiveness for profaning His name. Where else do we as Christians become guilty of by our silence being partakers of this sin? Is it not this way as well? By not mentioning God's name in situations where we should mention God's name. By not giving thanks unto God when we should 
give thanks unto God. Often does it not happen where somebody stands up in front of a crowd of people and gives thanks for all of the people who contributed to make this event possible, thanks to this person and that person and the next person, and somebody's name is left out. And then that individual feels hurt because he contributed significantly unto this, but his name was not mentioned in addition to all of the other names who contributed to that. If we feel hurt when our name is left out, when it should have been mentioned, how much more so is not our God hurt by our silence when we do not praise Him when we ought to? Then the Catechism moves positively to teach us how we are to use His name. Briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us. We are to know God by his names, we are to love God by his names, and we are to worship God by his names. We begin by knowing him by his names. We know him as He is revealed in the Old Testament unto Moses, Jehovah. I am that I am. And that reveals unto us that God is the unchanging, the everlasting, the covenant-keeping Lord of hosts. I am that I am, the God who is independent, who does not depend on anyone or anything outside of himself. We know him revealed in the scriptures, especially the New Testament scriptures, as Father. Father is one who begets another. He has his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. But then as well through the name Father, we come to understand that God takes us, He adopts us into His family. And He doesn't just take us unto Himself, but He also provides for us. And He nurtures us and sustains us, for He is our Father. By the names of God, we who are His children come to know Him. And then by His names, we come to love Jehovah God. What starts with a knowledge of God leads to that that emotion and bond of love that we feel for Jehovah God. We love Him by seeking and standing for truth. We love Him by developing, maintaining, and defending the truths of Scripture. For it's in the Scriptures that God reveals Himself unto us. We show our love for the name of God by supporting the Gospel ministry, by supporting the cause of missionaries, by being involved as God gives unto us ability in evangelism, spreading His Word in the local community. 
We love for the name of God by our support of Christian education. For it is the case that the name of God is not silenced, as it has been in the public schools, but the name of God is taught. We know him, we love him, and we worship him by his names. Worship means that we are coming into the presence of someone who is greater than us. You don't bow down to the individual who is beneath you, but you bow down to the individual whom you respect because that individual is greater, more powerful, wiser, holier than you. You worship a God who is jealous for your love, a God who pours out his wrath upon those who do not call upon his name, God whose jealousy burns like fire, according to the psalmist, the God who is unchanging and everlasting. We bow down and worship him. The only possibility of us worshiping him is through the perfect obedience of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It is not of ourselves that we are able to keep this commandment. Isaiah the prophet confessed, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. How dirty our lips have become as they are polluted with the sinfulness that spills forth from them. This is a distressing thought to the child of God that I use my lips not for the service of Jehovah God, But in weakness, I use my lips to profane the name of God. How distressing to think of the prayers that were uttered when our minds were not filled with love and fear for God. How distressing it is to think of the worship services where we came into the presence of Jehovah and our minds were a thousand miles removed from what the preacher was saying. It is in our distress that we cry out unto Jehovah God for the satisfaction of his Son to be applied unto us. Psalm 79, verse 9, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. We plead that name of God which is precious unto us, that name Jesus, 
Jehovah salvation. The one who suffered for our sakes, who died so that he could overcome that final enemy of death, who was raised from the dead on the third day so that we might have the confidence of our own resurrection. For the glory of Jesus, at whose name every knee should bow, we plead of Jehovah God, forgive us our sins. And in grace he purges us and gives unto us the ability with holy lips to use his name. In Jesus Christ is established a very possibility of taking the name of God upon our lips. What a privilege that we may use the name of our God. And we ought to view it that way as a privilege to use his name. Some have, recognizing the holiness and severity of the justice of God, thought it best that Christians not call upon the name of God. If indeed there is such a warning and a serious consequence for those who misuse the name of God, then perhaps it's best, some have concluded, to limit as much as possible our use of his holy name. But that's not the example that is set forth for us throughout the Holy Scriptures. That's not the example of the psalmist. But rather the Christian is given the confidence that Through Jesus Christ, we may use his holy name. It would be sinful for us not to use his name. And so we confess with the psalmist, Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Let us with fear and reverence use the name of God, by which name we know him, love him, and worship him. Amen. Let us pray. Father and our God in heaven, as we consider thy majesty, as we consider the heavens which are the work of thy fingers and the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? We thank thee for sent sending thy Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our stead. Wilt thou forgive us for Jesus' sake? Amen.